Welcome back to Game Study Study Buddies, your one-stop shop for everything you might want to know about the academic field of game studies, or at least the parts of it we've read. I'm Cameron, and with me, as always, is Michael. Hello. Wow. Michael, I think we need to do a little update. Uh, an update? I think we need to do an update. Okay. There was some confusion recently in the Discord uh, about which one what, of us what is we which? do. That's right. Uh, I, I, I'm the tall one. Uh huh. I'm the big and tall one, mm -hmm. and you're the small and skinny one. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like referencing, of course, the very, <laughs> the very common <laughs> misconception. Yes. Right. No, you're good for getting uh, high treasures, and I'm good for getting low treasures, and you have to toggle between us. That's right. I am the one that gets in the backpack, <laughs> and you're the one that carries the backpack. Yes. And you can throw the backpack, right? Uh huh. And get it back. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a big Mario, little Mario, but <laughs> you're the one who can turn into a fireball thrower. I can simply uh, turn into you. I was gonna say, that's the thing that Nintendo, that's where they need to innovate next is, uh, they need to have a big Mario. like you get the mushroom in your big Mario, but then mm -hmm. also there's a second Mario. That's the small Mario before he has the mushroom and you like switch between them. Oh, some like some like parallel world stuff. Yes. There's like three Marios. I don't, you know, they they missed an opportunity to do that in the Rabbids game. The oh. Mario versus Rabbids. I haven't played those, but I've heard they're actually surprisingly solid. Uh, You know, it's their XCOM, their Mario XCOM, which is fun. Mm -hmm. I like an XCOM. Uh, what's interesting about them is that, that like many games on the Nintendo Switch, I enjoy it for about 45 minutes and then never pick it up again. Mm -hmm. Top tier 45 minutes, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I like the rabbits. They're, they're, they're fun. Yeah. Those little zany guys, they <laughs> scream and screech. You know what I mean? <laughs> sort of a proto minion in that regard. Mm hmm. Hey, you know what? What? I like a minion too. <laughs> Banana. Banana. Papaya. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of the, the, the kind of libidinal enjoyment of the minion. Mm hmm. Kind of the same thing as like Beavis, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's also it's like a, it's like I it's why I like gremlins, right? Yeah, it's like you someone but, you just want to be a little thing that's like causing problems and and enjoying. It is is loud. Uh huh. Pulls your t shirt up over your head. Uh huh. <laughs> you know. Also, no, there. You know, there's been some confusion lately. Okay. About what we do. Uh huh. Like outside of this. Oh. And I don't think that any other. Uh, Outside this podcast. I don't think any of the other shows are the appropriate place to bring it up. Mm -hmm. So we should probably do that. Okay. Because you have a your job has changed recently. Yes. Do you want to say what that is? I don't know how detailed you can be. Um, I, I, I can be as detailed as I have been on Twitter in public. Uh, I think that's great. <laughs> uh, so I do these podcasts for Range Touch. Uh, that's that's one thing that I do. And mm -hmm. there, there are a couple of podcasts. We already mentioned those. Uh, mm -hmm. And I have talked previously about teaching, being a part of academia, and that is still the case. But as of now, I am an independent scholar because the other thing that I am doing is uh, working on a new exciting project for the game studio Half Mermaid. Uh, mm -hmm. So you've uh, you've jumped the garden fence. Yes. And there's like, uh, I don't know, probably... 
some sort of cases of mistaken identity over there. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. They're, 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 uh, ennui, I bet, oh, yeah. is going on. Uh-huh. My little brother is being annoying but endearing. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, so uh, that's that's what I'm up to now. Uh, it's very exciting. I think I was just double checking this. Uh, you should go to your you, you should go to Steam and search for Project C and wish list Project C so you can get updates mm-hmm. on this thing when we can tell you more about it. But yeah, there's there's often confusion about like uh, like where does our what do we do in our like what's our primary job? And for you at this point, your primary job is working on project c yeah and range touch yes that's like your that's like your combo full-time gig mm-hmm. uh and so if people uh you know maybe go over to patreon.com slash range touch <laughs> <laughs> to keep to keep michael uh rooting and tooting you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. might be helpful project c <laughs> that's how we do it now project c <laughs> oh my god hold on the DARPA chief Project. says here he's talking about Project C. <laughs> they found Michael in the basement. That's how it goes. Police tape wrapped around his whole body like a cartoon mummy. It says here on his ID tag, Project C. Project C. One of those. Yep. This is my, this is my, uh, it's when we parlay your success on Project C. Mm-hmm. Into our season of True Detective. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're basically giving away the whole plot of Project C now. Like that was that was where we were going is me tied up like a mummy in a basement. Mm-hmm. Time to pivot. Yep. Mm-hmm. We know our audience. You know? We know what they want. Mm-hmm. Time to pivot. Uh, and I, I, I similarly had a different I mean, about mm, several months ago at this point. But uh, previously, I was like a weird, the weirdest combination of academic staff and a lecturer Mm -hmm. now assistant professor that's my theme i play that every morning when i get into the office (laughs) people hate it (laughs) but it's one of the things that you can do as an assistant professor that's like actually like it goes back to uh like the 1300s like the old guild system (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You basically have the op- option between that and playing the entirety of the uh, '80s song "Saint Elmo's Fire." Mm-hmm. When you get into the office. It's called Sometimes "Man in I Motion." Excuse me. <laughs> oh, is that true? I th- oh, it, that is true. It is "Man in Motion." Uh, open parenthesis "Saint Elmo's Fire." Yeah. Uh huh. That's you are correct. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, and so the only reason I bring that up is that uh, you know, we often talk about our positions in academia vis-a-vis academia. Mm-hmm. On the show, we often talk about how that's informed our criticism mm-hmm. and the things we enjoy, the things we like. Uh, I teach more undergraduates now than I, I, I don't want to misspeak than ever before. Probably. I don't, ever... <laughs> don't want to misspeak than anyone else in human history. <laughs> yeah, than anyone has ever done. No, that's definitely not true. Like even remotely, uh, is that not true? Yeah. But more than I have ever taught before, right? Yeah. So I have a little bit more of a finer grained. Although I've done a huge amount of teaching in the past, I do now more teaching. Uh, I have a, fi- a little bit of a finer grained sense now of like what works in the classroom, what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And maybe that'll inform some of our thoughts going forward. And I think for you, maybe similar deal here, right? Where I think maybe you have less attachment to that going forward, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh, in I guess in theory, like I'm not gone from academia forever, I would say. This isn't mm-hmm. like a like I totally jumped ship. It was more like things aligned such that I got to make this kind of move. Uh, yeah. But certainly, yes, uh, I would say that for the foreseeable future, I'm probably going to be approaching a lot of these uh, books that we read from a weird combination of academic background and also thinking increasingly about terms of uh, like practicality or implementation. Mm-hmm. Like, what does this mean for the process of making something? Yeah. Um, well, and also too, you know, uh, you're still working on the Homestuck book, mm-hmm. and uh, and probably at some point, we even, you know, we I I can say without saying too much, we had a meeting at one point. Mm about doing a game study study buddies book yeah and that kind of fell off the radar a little bit just because we both got very busy but i think we'll probably do that at some point yeah and we had we had Uh, like a plan we had like a game plan yeah yeah yeah. we (laughs) we like wrote a proposal and everything uh we just didn't we didn't have time to really get it in um and so uh yeah if you if you want the game study study buddies book i think our our working title was the game study study buddies guide to game studies yeah (laughs) for buddies yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh if you want let us know if, you, if that sounds like a fun thing kind of uh maybe like a baseline explainer mm-hmm. coming from us so let us know if there if there's popular demand we might uh dust that off soon but yeah you're still in the thing we've got a publication coming out we do. over the summer we'll say more about that when we get there it's been uh announced i think we talked about it last time and, and you know what i've got a book that i blurbed what coming out coming out over the summer too but i'll i'll uh I'll uh, save that mm-hmm. for when they when those two things are out so we can really give them the good promo. Uh, yeah, I read the book and blurbed it. It's a fun book. It's a book I liked a lot. Oh, boy. So a l- little bit of a little thumbs up before before we get there in a couple months and it comes out. That's not what we're talking about today, Michael. We are talking about. That's not what we're talking about because <laughs> that's what we talked about. <laughs> How about that? Get that. Today we're talking about um, gaming sexism. Mm-hmm. Gender and identity in the era of casual video games by Amanda Cody. Yep. Um, looking at the thing here, bachelor's from University of Virginia, PhD in Michigan, 2016, was at University of Oregon up until very recently. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I saw Amanda Cody at uh, SCMS this year and was still at the University of Oregon oh. when I saw Amanda Cody. But now, as of very, very hyper recently, uh, associate professor and director of the Serious Games Certificate in the Department of Media and Information at Michigan State. That's right. That's fun. Mm-hmm. That's good. <laughs> uh, and this book was already on the thing, was already on our list mm-hmm. for a long time, and I didn't even bring it up. Yeah. As the next book to do. You were like, uh, we've had this on it for a long time and we should do it. And I, ashamedly, had never read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'd read the intro um but had not read the whole thing and i'm glad that we did why, why did you decide to pick this michael for our, for our new thing so this uh sort of uh marks i guess officially the end of the winter of children even though i guess ostensibly it's still the winter uh but the reason i went for this one was because in the last episode when we read the ito book uh you brought up that uh i can't remember exactly how this was framed now 
But you you noted mm-hmm. that when uh, Ito is talking about how gender differences emerge in play, and particularly like the social dynamics of gender differences, like how do boys kind of monopolize certain games, and how do girls get frustrated with that, and what games do they turn to, and so on, uh, you brought up that there wasn't quite as much uh, pressure put on that as as could have been. Like we didn't get a mm-hmm. lot about the experience of those girls kind of as its own thing. Uh, yeah. And so I thought that uh, sort of following on from that, well, why not look at this book, which uh, you wouldn't know precisely from the title, but is based on and partially made up of uh, interviews that Cody did with uh, female gamers uh, Mm -hmm. over the course of a couple of years. Right. So it is uh, uh, similar to. um, Oh, gosh, what was the title of the Kashana Gray book that we did? Uh, Intersectional Tech. Intersectional Tech, right. Uh, uh, Looking at uh, not so much specific games or specific industry practices, uh, although those do come up here, but um, uh, sort of focusing your analysis uh, specifically on how certain types of players interface with games specifically but also like the sphere of gaming is kind of a social arena like what are the strategies uh that arise from being a person uh with this or that uh identity uh as it interfaces with like the larger gamer culture right so it's, it, it seems mm-hmm. like it would be something similar to that um and it is and also isn't it turns out just because of really the type of uh work that gray is doing versus what cody is doing like uh Mm -hmm. uh what did she did i write down what uh cody got her degrees in i don't remember uh i did not write it down um but there is definitely kind of more of a straight up like almost sociological angle that gray works um, whereas yeah, yes. this book is primarily like th- there's a little bit of like industry history. There's a lot of like here's I've looked at the archive of like all of these gaming publications and here's what I've come up with. Uh, mm-hmm. But for the most part, uh, the way that the interviews come in is uh, Cody has obviously conducted all of these interviews and reviewed them and then is uh, kind of extrapolating ideas from them, right? Noticing like, well, you know, these people said this, right? Or like these people had kind of like this version of strategy for like how they deal with voice chat, right? It's it's like, and these people did this and um, it's more of a, a like qualitative summary, I guess, uh, which is still useful, right? Uh, just I, yeah. I'm not like trying to say like one book is better than the other. I'm just saying like I, I had actually like a picture of what this could be in my head when I was going in based on another book that I have read. And mm-hmm. this turned out to be a similar but different thing. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that the um, in terms of the shape of the two projects, right, the intersectional tech is much more. Uh, here's a kind of critical take on reality. And then here are the interviews that that provide the launching point for that Mm -hmm. right uh i think this book is is a little bit more kind of straight up qualitative communication studies work Mm -hmm. right um it it, in the sense that it is here are these people that interviewed here's what they said here is all the context that you might want in order to explain why they feel that way about reality Mm -hmm. right so it ends up feeling like you said a little bit more reconstruction of history ish right you know mm-hmm. what i mean like a lot of this book is just being like and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened 
And so when this participant or these participants say X, Y, Z, that's probably why they're saying it. Right. Which I think is like if you are if you are tuned into questions of sexism on the Internet, right, anti-feminism on the Internet, um, kind of gamer feminism mm-hmm. writ broadly, right, like the, the positive version of these things, right? Uh, if you're tuned into that, I don't think there's a lot of surprises in this book for you, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't think there was anything I read in here that was like, oh, this is something I was not aware of at all. Even though I do think that ch- the chapter about strategies mm-hmm. that these um, that these players use, I thought that was really interesting. And some of those I'd not thought about. Um, I don't think there was a huge amount of surprises. I do think that if you don't know much about this at all, right, if you don't really understand the relationship between feminism, sexism, and the gaming apparatus, this is the most comprehensive book I could point you to. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could go from zero to a lot of knowledge, and knowledge that I feel very, you know, my my confidence in this knowledge being accurate and true is pretty high, you know, based on my experience, based on being in a lot of these spaces for a decade plus. Um, And so I think this is, if if you are looking for the thing that, that, um, provides the solid evidentiary background from which you might want to make your own argument or you want to explain to someone in your life, like, what's going on with the intersection between, like, MRAs or, um, you know, right-wing masculinities, right, in relationship to uh, the gaming world? Here you go. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's whole chapters you could just pull out of here and then use to to show people that has very clear evidence. It's very clearly written. Um, a little bit envious here. You know, I've said this a few times, but uh, I think I'm a pretty good writer. I think in academic work, I'm not the clearest writer. I think Cody is a very clear writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way that I think sometimes is like, okay, I get it. I get it. We're good. You know what I mean? But extremely clear and extremely good at A, then B, then C, then D, then E, then some other letters. I'm not quite sure uh, the order in which they happen. Right. But um I think sometimes that makes the book feel a little remedial if you're in those spaces, but also I think there's zero ambiguity about what the outputs are uh, because she's she's got a pretty strong, like, rational logic that runs through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if you if you were, like, you know, waist deep in these conversations, probably not a huge amount here, although there's some good background in terms of, like, theoretical stuff. Um, and I think she comes up with a lot of really good terms you know, the the term core that gets used mm-hmm. throughout the book. I think that's really helpful. I think it's useful, uh, even though I think a lot of people have made terms like that. Her um, transformation of Stuart Hall's stuff into the infer- uh, inferential sexism stuff mm-hmm. that we'll talk about. I think that's pretty cool in terms of key term stuff. Um, but, so I think there's here something here for for anyone who's curious on the topic. But certainly if you're looking for the explainer or you wanted to teach a book about this kind of stuff, I think this book would teach really well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's like plenty of examples. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Oh, did we say this was published in 2020 by NYU Press? That's throwing that out there. Yeah, we've I, I think we've done like every book in that like little universe of NYU Press that came around there, <laughs> except for maybe Bo Ruberg's book. <laughs> but like every other book, I think we've covered from that yeah. like little area from is, NYU Press. Is Bo Ruberg's, Ruberg's book the one that's like 600 pages long? Uh, or is that? Yeah, I mean, th- yeah, there's, it's long. There's like one that I like would really like us to do, but it is so long. <laughs> uh, um, I think I'm pretty sure, but let me let me make sure I'm not I'm not uh uh, yeah, yeah. Video games always have always been queer. Yeah, is um, it, it is pretty long. 
Okay. I will say that. Oh, you know what we haven't done? We have done Amanda Phillips's work on here, but we haven't done Gamer Trouble. We should probably do oh, that at hmm. some point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but uh, you want to dive right in? Yeah, sure. Uh, we'll dive right in by just laying out kind of the structure <laughs> as is typical. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm- dive right into the next part of the show. Yeah. Uh, so this book, uh, structurally, right, uh, is pretty typical right it has an introduction and then it has six chapters and then there's also a conclusion um that is kind of summative uh and sort of like points forward like what is some work to be done and then there's an appendix that lays out uh the research methods uh that were undertaken because as we've already gestured to uh some of this is archival work right uh more familiar kind of straight up scholarship. Like I collected this many gamer magazines and I read them and I noticed this and here's a reading of this type of ad and that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, the, that's the yeah. stuff. This is the kind of work I want to do. <laughs> yeah. And is in, it in, is in my magic, the gathering book to be clear. I'm, I'm working on a magic the gathering manuscript. I've talked about that before. I'm working on it right now. We got a whole chapter looking at magazines. <laughs> like in my heart, I'm a magazine uh-huh. scholar. Yeah. And like, I've never published anything about that. Right. So I, I definitely <laughs> am not, but like my fantasy of myself is a guy who like reads magazines all the time. Yeah. And has like strong opinions <laughs> about 1994. Oh, and then the other half of that, the the guy that apparently you you don't fantasize about being uh, Cody also did interviews. And so uh, she walks through, like, how did she contact the people that she interviewed? How many people did she end up interviewing? Mm-hmm. Uh, what were, you know, their demographics? Uh, and then sort of importantly, so the first few chapters here are a combination of the uh archival work, right? The kind of contextual work, like this is how gaming has been made and presented rhetorically as an industry, uh, mashed up with chapters about like, here is how these particular women interface with gaming. Here are the strategies that they adopt. Uh, crucially the interviews concluded in 2012. And then, uh, Mm -hmm. two years later, uh, it's unclear, actually, if, if Cody intended to go back and speak with uh, the interviewees afterward or if that was if this was a thing that was prompted specifically by the Gamergate harassment movement that happens in 2014. Uh, right. A really uh, a notable moment of reactionary backlash against uh, women and uh, issues of feminism within gaming, as well as a whole host mm-hmm. of basically any sort of uh, identitarian uh, uh, gains that had been made in that space over the past couple of years. Um, yeah. So the last chapter uh, is Cody going back to some of the interviewees and seeing where they are now and sort of uh, checking in on them post Gamergate and interviewing them specifically about uh their experience of Gamergate or kind of um, what they know about it. And there's some interesting stuff there that like we'll save to where we get to that chapter. But to just give the outline, then um, the introduction explains most of this. Right. Uh, and then the following chapters, uh, the first chapter is uh it starts out like you can tell that this is kind of, I think, where the research like begins. Right. Uh, it starts out in, with the idea of casual gaming and the casualization of gaming. Uh, what does that mean? Right. Like what is gaming in the casualized era? What is casual? Who plays casual? Like, obviously, the the stereotype is that it's for women or girls or whatever. Uh, but we're going to trouble that. 
um, mm-hmm. chapters two and three uh, are about the different types of things that happen when women encounter the policing mechanisms within games, like uh, uh, the men who are saying like, oh, well, girls don't play games, or if they do play games, they play them like this, or if they play them, they play them for the wrong reasons, um, so on and so forth. Uh, the fourth chapter is about why do these women even bother? If, if 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 all this stuff is happening, like what is the motivation, right? Like what uh, is it like? What is it about gaming that uh, these women enjoy? Um, the fifth uh, chapter then uh, is what are their strategies for dealing with the uh, frictional and hostile social mechanisms that they encounter? And then, as I said, in the chapter six is like kind of where is everyone uh, post 2014, uh, so many years on, like how has gaming changed or not? And so on. Mm -hmm. The, uh, yeah. And interesting, you know, you, you mentioned the interviews, right. But, but it looks like the numbers I'm reading from your notes here, 37 interviews with 11 Mm follow-ups. So qualitative interviews, right. Long form qualitative interviews of, um, I think just people who self-selected. Yes. Right. I mean, you know, um, Cody recruited from different groups and some were online. Um, but, you know, not this is not, a, you know, an empirical thing where it's like very strict policing of specific identity categories. Right. Right. Um, I've, I've, it seems like it's like, are you a woman? Yes. OK, here yeah. we go. Well, right. it, With- based on uh, what she says in the appendix, it seems like she posted on some forums and like did mm-hmm. kind of an open call. Uh, and she says there that I think in her language, in her original posting, I don't know if she said, you know, are you a are you a gamer woman or a gamer girl or like, do you? She specifically used the term gamer in uh, the call. And she points out that this means that there could have been plenty of women who read that posting, but don't feel very strongly about the gamer label or, in fact, find it off putting. And therefore, they passed over uh, being interviewed. Right. So, yeah, she was like selecting not only just for like women, but like women who were going to have some sort of positive attachment to the label of gamer. Yeah. So um, I my sneaking suspicion, you were talking about the kind of uh, initial interviews, Indian in 2012, and then returning a few years later. Mm-hmm. My sneaking suspicion is that that that's the difference between dissertation work concluding and working on a book proposal for the tenure track process. Yeah. <laughs> beginning. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, that's what that feels like to me is, is less, although maybe, I mean, there's not, I don't think of the appendix. I don't remember in the, in the appendix, there being a strong reasoning or rationale there, but that seems to me like start working on the book proposal. And then between let's say 2015 and 2018, you're working on the book book goes in takes two years to come to print comes to print in 2020 right mm-hmm. like that's a round of you know round numbers that sounds like a, a pretty normal timeline to me mm-hmm. um, which means that like this kind of sociological work or this kind of communication studies work um kind of you know like the games world just changes a lot in real time very quickly yes um and so it, all of this work ends up kind of looking like a time capsule and I think that that is helpful here in particular because it kind of it's like what we talked about with uh, the Edo book, right? Like it tells you something about the moment mm-hmm. as much as it tells you about women in games, big quotation marks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in a kind of universal way. Um, and, and I think that's interesting. And I think what's notable is the way some of those things maybe have changed and some of the ways they just bone deep have not, mm-hmm. right? Um, if there's like a big, broad criticism that I would have of the book, from that perspective here 
is that Cody's pretty unwilling to say that uh, women can can be misogynistic. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that really shows up in this book. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there are a lot of places here where we see some pretty clear instances of women having misogynistic tendencies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for other other big quotation marks here, other kinds of women, right? Women mm-hmm. who are doing practices that they don't approve of in the gaming sphere. Um, and Cody's a little unwilling to like, she she pumps the brakes on that mm-hmm. stuff, right? To not talk about intra-community policing or intra-community misogyny, um, but just says like, well, these are perspectives and, and, and practices that are in there. And I think that that probably is good in some ways because it it doesn't um, doesn't hold any of these interviewers like feet to the fire in that regard. Mm-hmm. But you know, so for example, in here we get the you know a lot of discussion of like good gamer girls again quotation marks right and bad gamer girls right mm-hmm. like the gamer girls who are um, flirting in the games or the ones who are like sending pictures of their body or sending pictures period to like get things in games. Mm-hmm. And that's like universally castigated, mm-hmm. for, you know, by these things. And that to me is, is is an interesting place to talk about kind of intercommunity policing, right? And what is the good way to be a woman in a video game and the bad way to be a woman in a video game from the perspective of the interviewees. And Cody doesn't really want to dig into that so much as describe it. Right. right? Well, and doesn't want to apply ethics to it. So, right. Yeah. Just to like mm-hmm. actually like thread through like and jump ahead yeah. a little bit. Like I think a really yeah, clear example of this is um, in the chapter, chapter five, which is about the strategies that women deploy to kind of mitigate uh, harassment or avoid it and things like that. Uh, She walks through a couple of these and we'll talk about those piece by piece. But then one that she kind of concludes on is that uh, none of these women say that they have like flirted to get men to calm down. Right. Like none of them have ever like used like flirtation or sex appeal as one of these strategies. But like sort of notably in an earlier chapter, uh, many of these women talk about other women doing that. And I thought like that's a really interesting kind of disjuncture of um, just kind of like, well, okay, hmm, like what's going on here? Right. Like Mm -hmm. that, that they are observing a behavior, but also they are not uh, like they're not like partaking in it. But like this behavior is like being described. It's apparently somewhere out there in the world. So what do we do with that? Like what's going on? Mm -hmm. Or at least. Yeah, I would love follow up. you know, work on that. And I'm sure that there is follow up work on that. You know, I, I feel confident that the um, it, this question's got to be unavoidable in the kind of um, gaming sphere, uh, eliding into sex work mm-hmm. scholarship that's come out recently. Um, you know, I know Christine Tran's been working on that for a while in uh, stuff in that universe and a bunch of other people have too. Right. Uh, but that feels unavoidable as like a set of questions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they go in there I'm just, and I'm curious about it, right? But yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. The the fact that it is disavowed and kind of shamed, right, mm-hmm. by this core group of interviewees is fascinating. You know, I'm, I, I definitely want to know more about it, especially because that is so clearly a part of the gaming ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? Like, like you can't you can't go on Twitch without seeing that kind of thing as its own form of content. Um, and maybe that's part of this, too, is like the the Twitch ecosystem is not taken off at the point where the, the research for this book is essentially complete. Right. Right. And, and these people are the interviewees for this book are overwhelmingly private individuals. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that that's what we get from those kind of strategies is they're private. They don't have a huge number of, of other 
women friends that they're playing with, right? And whether that is safety, whether that is choice, uh, you know, Cody floats a few different explanations for that. Um, but but it's fascinating to see that maybe um, part of what's going on there is a kind of purposeful alienation mm-hmm. in the the you know women who game the gamer women you know universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, what, what we get, you know, that that's big cr- critique coming out. We're just not going to run into that throughout the book because Cody doesn't run into that or by, by, um, you know, uh, comparison, the interviewees do not float that as a reality for them. And so the, the research isn't driven that direction, right? Yeah. Like when you do interview based research, your research is <laughs> driven largely by the interviews, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> hard to be too critical. Yeah. So uh, just to run through the introduction, then, like the big points here is that uh, Cody begins by describing the emergence of like the casualization discourse in gaming, specifically with the Nintendo Wii and the quote unquote blue ocean strategy, uh, which was Nintendo's internal name, I believe, for just the idea of, uh, uh, you know, making types of games that were going to appeal to folks who were not the historically core gamer audience that were going to appeal to like families, uh, you know, older people, so on and so forth. Uh, and then positioning that uh, in its time, like that was not just a thing that happened. And then several years later, people picked up on it. It was a thing that was being noted in the gaming press at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, gamers themselves, as well as uh, uh, writers and editorialists for gaming outlets, talked about this and expressed uh, both anxieties about what it meant for the field, but also in in a really interesting like there's there's both hope and anxiety uh, about this. Um, so that's happening, right? That's kind of like thing number one. Uh, there's also mobile gaming coming in there as well. Um, then. Uh, there is the comparison that she draws. This is actually I love this move that Cody does throughout is uh, talking about Janice Radway's reading romance. Yeah, yeah. Reading the romance, reading the I romance. Um, let me let, let me make sure that's true. But yeah, you know what? We, we just got to we got to do that book on here at some point. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Reading We've the talked the about that. Yeah. Um, which is a book about uh, women who read romance novels and uh, how like similar to what Cody is doing here, right? It's clear that this book is like a, a kind of prime model for what Cody is doing. Like yeah. uh, romance novels are, you know, reviled, trivialized in, in the broader culture, uh, both because they are primarily marketed towards women, but also, uh, uh, well, because they are like marketed towards women because they're like a, a feminized, like a uh, uh, commodity, uh, and yet, nevertheless, there are women who love them, who read them a lot. Like, why do they do this? Like, and they're not ignorant of the associations and of the trivialization. So what are their mm-hmm. strategies for um, engaging with this, like, kind of marginalized and trivialized arena of culture that is nevertheless very important to them, so on and so forth? Um, so uh, there's a this is one of the ways that Cody gets kind of this relationship between um, women gamers and like the broader gaming field, which she sees as being determined by like the construction of geek masculinity, um, something that like, for instance, uh, Carly Kosurik's book uh, has talked about. Right. We did an episode on that coin operated Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. 
And then the broader theoretical background here, then, that we eventually arrive at is uh, Gramscian. Uh, Cody says that there is a kind there was a, a, you know, geek masculinity hegemony in gaming, right? Hegemony being a, a kind of um, basic state of things, a kind of maintenance of an order that is not necessarily like centralized and top down enforced, but sort of dispersed um, um, atmospheric in a way. Uh, and uh, the point that we have reached or, you know, his I mean, reached now, but also historically reached was um, what Gramsci calls the crisis of authority when uh, kind of the naturalized reigning order of the hegemony naturalized here, meaning like uh, presented is just the way things are. Mm-hmm. Right. Common like, sense. Right. Common sense. Uh, it's just it's just how things are. It's just natural that uh, the pieces fell in the way that they did. And it doesn't mm-hmm. do us any good to like try to fiddle with them. Um, the crisis crisis of authority is the moment for Gramsci uh, when the hegemony hegemony no longer has uh, naturalized authority. Right. That it can be questioned or it can be spoken back to. Uh, and there are two sort of ways that this can go broadly speaking once there's a crisis of authority once hegemony has been called into question uh either hegemony is going to change or there will be a use of force to prevent that change so uh cody is looking at how has casualization uh in its emergence changed the face of gaming as a field both like in terms of market but in terms of public perception um what does this have for marginalized audiences within gaming and what are the effects or that this has on uh the the heretofore kind of centralized audience right the hegemonic audience um there's also some talk here about uh, uh foucault and butler like cody gets into you know, like laying down by the way when i'm talking about gender here is what i mean it's performative it's a social construction so on and so forth mm-hmm. um which which by the way it doesn't mean so when we say social construction it doesn't mean it's fake mm-hmm. right means that literally our understanding of those things, our ability to embody them, our ability to think of ourselves as gendered subjects, things like that, is mediated by social context around us. Right, right. right. Um, it, pro- it, it, it is fundamentally a social um, experience, right? Discursive. Mm-hmm. It, it happens in the construction of knowledge of ourselves and others, uh, rather than being something like, uh, you're born into and is taken for granted the rest of your life, right? right. Which is the I think the the nominal fantasy, right, right, of how these things work, right? And that's important because one of the things that Cody is uh, going to point out is that there are a lot of uh, naturalized or essentialized uh, pieces of wisdom, quote unquote. Uh, the quotes there around wisdom because it's not wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gamers like, wisdom, right? Gamers wisdom. Uh, you know, girls like games like blah. Boys like games like blah. When girls play games, they are looking to experience blah. When boys play games, they are looking to experience blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things Cody is going to point out again and again and again is that when you look closely at the habits, like if you if you look closely at the the alleged habits of male and female gamers. Uh, they are often actually very, very similar, right? They have a similar kind of ways of thinking about these things. A good example, right? Uh, you might think women don't like violent games, right? And we're just going to like, and she, she, uh, one of the critiques that Cody leverages of prior research and sort of prior attempts to intervene in gaming um, or in like game making uh, is along these lines is like the so-called girl games movement, right? If we're going to make a game yep. for women, it's got to be about uh, uh, princesses and horses or whatever, or about fashion, it's be about raising a horse. Yeah. 
Did you know everyone likes raising a horse in the game? <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Everyone likes feeding a horse an apple. Right. Or like from from the opposite end, one of her interviewees who is specific, who is very clear, she's like, oh, yeah, I like to play games because they're violent. Like, I like the sex and violence. Like, that is fun right. to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the thing that... Um, when you when you dial down into qualitative research about gender differences, right, uh, particularly from the comm studies field, you dig down into it, you, you do a little survey, read any of it. The thing you find immediately is there are way more similarities than differences among enjoyment. So like types of communication, types of media uh, engagement across gender sectors. And in fact, selection happens kind of intergroup rather than um, in, in opposition, right? So it's not that um, there is more diversity within uh, the monolith of women in their enjoyment of games than there is uh, diversity between what men and women enjoy. Right. Right. Um, and, or any other kind of gender sector you want to point out here. Uh, and that is like the, 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 the when you teach any of these issues or when you try to engage in the scholarship, that's the thing that is like hardest for people to get over. And it's the hardest to convince people of, even though there's a huge amount of empirical data about it for any part of um, the kind of, uh, you know, media world you want to engage with, right? Mm -hmm. These studies have been done with literature. They've been done with TV. They've been done with movies. They've been done with games. Like, mm -hmm. but there is some heavy... Uh, hegemonic belief, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that there must be some sort of inherent difference that splits along gendered lines, right? And and you know what you're hearing here too is like the amount of research that's been done here within these heuristics around, say, non-binary people uh, is essentially. I mean, it's not non-existent. There are people doing those works, but in terms of the studies that I've found doing that work, you know, it's one percent of one percent or something over the past. 50 years of doing this kind of research. So um, even the the setup, the hegemonic belief here, right, around who enjoys what necessarily, necessarily excludes anyone who doesn't fit into those broad categories, because the, the people who are invested in these broad categories are not invested in thinking about people who might not fit within them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and especially people who maybe during their life go from one category to the other, right? These, these um, uh, studies are not particularly able to speak to that yet mm -hmm. uh so then chapter one is called core in the video game industry changing perceptions of mm -hmm. power and it is mainly about doing the historical work that i've already gestured at which is like previewed mm -hmm. in the introduction it's you know this kind of something that we've talked about on the show a couple times in a from various vectors uh the history of gaming and sort of the uh rise of uh Home consumer technology and the way that that is specifically gendered as male, targeted toward boys. Video games are things that you get for the boy in your household, and also your household is white, middle class, so on and so forth. Um, and this is, and she also points out that so many video games uh, emerge from what she calls like uh, boys' genres, right? Science fiction, uh, uh, fantasy, western, kind of the the adventure stories that. Uh, were primarily associated with young boys uh, before the you know mid-century. Um, so she is doing all this work to just, you know, uh, uh, justify this claim that there is a hegemonic uh, masculinity uh, that is l latent or like, you know, in the background of gaming as an industry or gaming as kind of a hobby arena. Um, and then there is within that a kind of hardcore, like what we would, I think, like most people would 
understand what we were talking about if we was like, oh, a hardcore gamer. Uh, for mm-hmm. Cody, the term that she uses is just core, right? Core because of, uh, you know, the way that it both evokes hardcore, but also means kind of like the center, right? Or the people who are allowed to think of themselves as the center of this institution or of this um, um, kind of cultural arena. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, well, she does a also a really nice kind of history of the or history is maybe not exactly right, but kind of a, a, a lateral kind of discussion of like hardcore as a term uh, and how that's yeah masculine. Go ahead. Discourse analysis maybe is the yes. word we might want to use, right? Mm-hmm. Like where does this word show up mm-hmm. and under what context does it uh, verify or grant or produce particular ways of engaging with like fixations? Right. Right. And so uh, looking at, for example, uh, hardcore pornography, right, uh, that shows like uh, uh, erect penises, ejaculation, things like that, uh, but also hardcore punk music uh, where particularly straight edge, um, where to be like hardcore, you really have to commit to the lifestyle. And if you're straight edge, this can be uh, uh, about like not engaging in promiscuous sex, which results in this kind of situation where like the most hardcore men in a punk scene, if they're straight edge are uh, going to kind of look at women with suspicion. And so she notes that across a couple of uh, cultural contexts, we get this term hard core uh, that is always about shoring up a particular idea of hardy and aggressive masculinity, right? And the masculinity yeah. that is in control of itself or. Yeah. Yeah. So um, casual gaming then uh, emerges as a contrast to hardcore gaming, because if you're a hardcore gamer, you're like you are in it, right? You know, all the games you're like good at it. You're pushing the buttons. You're making the Mario's get big and small and, and so on and so forth. Uh, casual. Yeah, I'm a hardcore gamer. <laughs> I make the Mario's get big and small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, really, really fascinating little moment where she talks about uh the well, and she says, you know, the this type of idea that this is that there are different audiences within gaming, and it's like you know this hardcore audience versus this casual audience feeds back into the industry in terms of uh how games are made. So uh, she mentions that during the development of The Last of Us. Uh, women were considered to be outside the target audience. And so I guess, you know, focus groups or whatever that they ran or sort of ideation strategies that they employed uh, meant that they were specifically kind of targeting men rather than women, right? Or they were doing things Mm -hmm. like what they thought, you know, men would like. Um, Casual games contrasted to this are considered to be usually very simple. Um, Often, you know, like their mobile games or whatever, Cody points out, actually casual games can get extremely complicated. Uh, The idea that a casual game is necessarily a mechanically simple game is is misleading sometimes. And then she points out that in gaming publications at the time and kind of like the moment of the casual revolution, you get uh, editors who are saying things like, uh, you know, on the one hand, it is so awesome what Nintendo is doing, like bringing gaming to a wider audience, getting people interested in gaming who might not be interested in gaming before. You know what? My sister is playing video games now, that type of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. They're saying that on the one hand, and on the other hand, they are being very clear about their anxieties. Does this mean they're not going to make my shoot-em more games anymore? They're all going to play, like, Mario Bowling grandparent time? 
there's that yeah. there's that one guy i hope so <laughs> i love the uh the one guy who is like doing doing kind of like the um <laughs> like the the like uh, uh weary warrior in the corner of the tavern uh thing where he's like listen you gotta you just gotta keep buying you, you wake up and like buy the games that you like buy the games that you enjoy because one day i woke up and they weren't making the games that i liked anymore gaming changed and it's going to change again and it'll happen to you uh I, that's just very fun to me as someone who did buy the games that i liked and gaming still changed not in like <laughs> oh it got too casual it's like i like single player games and every game became an online always multiplayer game as a service like yeah, regardless right regardless of what i did <laughs> yeah you beefed it dude yep oops <laughs> i hope you like watching number go up uh-huh um but anyway, so that's like that's the first chapter, right, is is talking through this idea of like core and uh, who is implicitly a part of that or explicitly a part of that and who is excluded from it. Um, and then uh, chapter two, then, is called tits, tokenism and trash talk, overt sexism and gaming culture, overt sexism being a key term here because uh, we're going to get to the other one. There's overt sexism and inferential sexism. Uh, these are both strategies uh Whereby overt sexism is like the wildest friends at the table character. <laughs> Am I wrong? Yeah. <laughs> the divine hegemony piloted by the excerpt overt sexism. <laughs> um, actually, I almost certainly hegemony already exists within within that setting. I'm I'm sorry oh, for misremembering. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so these are both strategies whereby uh, core is maintained as an, a masculine identity, right? People mm -hmm. like things happen around gaming uh, that are overtly sexist that position women outside of of the core um, and overt, as you would expect, are kind of the, the loudest and most obvious examples of this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that that it uh, <clears throat> that there's a way that power gets expressed right mm -hmm. and we we tend to focus in on the the clearest expressions of that um but but tend not to look at the more subtle versions of it right the ones that are enforced by structure or the ones that are enforced by implication rather than hate speech or whatever right mm -hmm. uh and uh and yeah so that's what where the you know the language comes from here and i think that's pretty good mm -hmm. it's helpful yeah Yep. And so uh, examples of over sexism that she looks at are uh, things like uh, when you look at a game and you immediately clock it as like a male power fantasy because of like how the female characters are designed. If the uh, protagonist is a woman, uh, how is she designed? How does the camera look at her? Things of that nature. Uh, an interesting mm -hmm. thing that comes up in some of this that she she. Uh, mentions is that a lot of her interviewees or informants or whatever the specific term would be um, a lot of them mention like not liking Grand Theft Auto right kind of like checking out mm -hmm. of Grand Theft Auto like ipso facto uh, on the grounds of kind of how it treats women and how it appeals to a certain type of like masculine uh, power fantasy yeah um, so uh, there's that no, there's some d discussion of trash talking yes. here, too, mm -hmm. right? That's pretty interesting. Basically, she's trying to kind of ascertain what are the places where really overt sexism appear? And then how do women, you know, at least the informants, right? Mm -hmm. Informant being the language that we use to talk about respondents, right? Uh, in this kind of qualitative 
uh, um, research, how do they actually feel about it, right? And I, I think most people who are in the gaming space and spend a lot of time there, right, that, you know, the language that, that um, that you your summary language that are in your notes here, Michael, you know, it means nothing until it means everything, right? There's like this trigger point where after that it becomes not just idle talk or whatever. Uh, it becomes like really serious kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And is this where the discussion is had about like when people talking about their partners going and playing games, like men going and playing games and then turning trash talk on and just saying awful shit to people on the internet? And then turning it off when they're done. Is that is this where that happens? Yeah, I think so. There's a there's a bit where one of the interviewees, she's talking about how uh, she does not like her her boyfriend. Maybe he started playing some game. Basically, uh, he he will play a game and he will start trash talking and he will become yeah. deeply unpleasant. Like she doesn't like it when yeah. he plays a certain game because of like the way that he loudly and obnoxiously trash talks. Yeah. So there's something going on with that, too, that the. Um, the game elicits, right? Not because of its content, but because of its like social context, right? You enter into an arena where people are trash talking and saying all kinds of awful slurs or whatever, and it prompts people to make a decision. Do you want to participate in this or do you not want to participate in this? And there is fundamentally like a choice that occurs here, right? And it's a choice that's coerced and it's a choice that's social, you know, all these different things. Um, but but Cody is kind of using the interviews at getting at that. What who was prompted to participate in those kinds of conversation? Right. Um, who who isn't? Right. Right. Um, but yeah, this is also one where like uh, I think this is the place where she's talking about how uh, or no, maybe it's in the strategy section. I just don't have it right in front of me. Where but where she's talking about in one place where someone is ruth- ruthlessly trash talking um, one of these uh, participants until she reveals she's a woman and then like a switch flips and they start flirting and yeah. that the, the, and that the interviewee just found that incredibly like skin crawlingly gross uh-huh. that those were the only ways that this other um you know uh presumed male gamer could uh interact with her was through hate speech or through flirting that's the only heuristics mm-hmm. you know that they had for that uh, and that kind of comes in here too, right? Well, what's the position of a woman in a multiplayer game? Those are the two major ones, right? As a, as a target of sexist violence or as someone to be desired. Yep. Um, and these are women who are like trying to navigate that mm-hmm. um, in a way that lots of women on the internet have to. Yep. Yep. And I mean, that's kind of this chapter, right? It's uh, there, there's some other stuff here that like, you know, one of the things that many of the interviewees point out is that in appealing to kind of this masculinized ethos, uh, the, the game industry is also reaffirming stereotypes about men that are not true, right? That men are entirely yeah. driven by uh, sexual desire and going a wooga whenever they see a, a lady with some big bazooms. Uh, yeah, uh, men turn into a cartoon wolf uh-huh. and begin uh, smashing their head with a hammer. Right. We all know it. Right. Yeah. Like men are all just sex and violence and that's all they care about and that's all that they can express. Um, and they recognize yeah. this as like, that's not true about men. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's what this uh, uh, marketing suggests, what it appeals to. Mm-hmm. And of course, the judge often has to come and put them in the dip. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> Really, that would solve a lot of gaming's problems if we just let the judge put uh, the worst gamers in the dip. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that. That would be 
that's my like new <laughs> like i uh you know i said earlier i had a kind of a new job well, i have an even newer job and it's the head of trust and safety for xbox <laughs> and really i've just offloaded I'm, I'm very successful i fired most of the people on the team unfortunately that's what's happening in the game industry right now it sucks um but in this case i've just replaced everyone on trust and safety with uh the judge from who framed roger rabbit who just goes around and puts gamers in the dip mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it's like uh what was that guy uh, unfortunately he's passed away but step toe or step two whatever his name is the guy who was like the head of xbox don't be bad who would like show up into games and then beat them in games <laughs> to like to like prove that yeah that game security was good well i want to do that but by having the gamers put into the dip from who framed roger rabbit mm -hmm. i think it's i think it's like if you say something to me in call of duty warzone and i don't like it the dip yeah pathway to a better tomorrow patrick sullivan the uh magic kind of con magic the other content creator um once on a podcast uh, on a podcast pitched the hole as a as a mode of punishment for people who like cheating games or like just are like socially unpleasant they just make the world not work mm -hmm. and the hole was a um it's just like a it's it's not it's a, a physical hole you're put into and it's not too deep because you need <laughs> to have hope that you could get out of it one day right so it's like a 12 foot hole and every hour, uh, you just they dump a bucket of bugs on you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that is just uh, that was his solution to like bad behavior in the gaming space. You put you get put in the hole uh -huh. with the bugs. Yeah. And that's what happens. Good. And now, I'm not saying when I get when I pitch that, which is horrifying. Now you're starting to look at the dip and think that's not too bad. <laughs> Getting melted into cartoon fluid. Right. <laughs> non-existence versus bug hole yeah you don't want to be in the hole mm -hmm. don't give me feedback on the hole that's uh you can, you can provide patrick uh patrick sullivan at basic mountain on twitter <laughs> if you want to <laughs> give him some feedback about the hole uh, i do like the thing that happens here at the end of the chapter where because cody also does a pretty good job of this of being like hey here's all this bad stuff that happens here's what what these uh participants said about like things where it's not so bad and uh where fallout shows up here right mm -hmm. it's like these are games that kind of don't have normative statements. I mean, they do, you know, we uh, go take a, check out too much future, right? But <laughs> they don't really have normative statements about, say, gender, and they don't uh, elicit particular kinds of statements. You kind of get to do whatever you want to do, and there are fully developed characters and playable characters of whatever kind of gender position that you want, as long as your gender position is one of two gender positions. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, that that creates a more accessible is probably the wrong word, but more approachable perspective for some of these people who have experienced uh, hate and harassment in other sectors of the gaming world. Right. Right. Yeah. Like Fallout, uh, the modern Fallout games definitely have uh, statements that they're making about gender. But when you put that up against like when you put up the, the ability to like choose first of all and then be able to like be a a like a woman character who is not defined by how sexy she is or whatever like mm -hmm. that that's a yeah she's defined by her gatling gun right exactly right like that's that and is something, whether or not it's a laser gatling gun. <laughs> you can do that in fallout that's a world of yeah. difference yeah <laughs> uh, anyone can make someone splat into a billion gibbs uh-huh you know <laughs> Um, and yeah, that's interesting. You want, want to move on to chapter three? Yeah. So chapter three, uh, one of the last notes from the previous one that I just want to pluck out because I think it is oh, yeah. interesting is that, um, many of the respondents just incidentally, uh, you know, anecdotally say that they feel like overt sexism, uh, has become increased 
more recently, like relative to when they're being interviewed, like it's it's a thing that is kind of on the rise, like they feel like there is more of it now than there was because this is the other thing to keep in mind is that they're being interviewed in 2012 or so. And these are mostly women, it seems like who've been gaming for quite a while as their interviews yeah. make clear. Um, yeah. And so the the rise of overt sexism is like, you know, a like pin in pin in the pin board. Right. Note this, that these women are mm-hmm. are reporting that. Yeah. Um, and like that in my in my heart of hearts, I don't think that that is like objectively true in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Do, do I think that there is more sexism in the world of gaming today than there was in 2010? Well, I spent a lot of time around men who were gamers in, you know, in that time period. Mm-hmm. I don't see a huge uptick. You know, I, I see about a flat thing. Do I believe that that is experienced more by people? Yes. Right. As opposed to like intercommunity men just being sexist. Right. Do I think that it is more targeted today? Uh, absolutely. There are people who have made their entire brand, you know, aiming the the shotgun of angry, resentful male gamers at people. Yeah. Right? Like that's their deal. Yep. Now there's like a there's like a market segment for it. So, uh, yeah, I uh, like that, like raw numbers, you know, in terms of like if, if it's a meter going up and down. Right. I think that the amount of sexism is probably flat over the past 15 years. The In terms of how it is aimed and directed. Absolutely. I think that that is. Yeah, that is probably correct. Yeah. Uh, so then chapter three is girly games and girl gamers, inferential sexism and its impacts. Inferential sexism, as you mentioned, Cameron, uh, is an adaptation of uh, Stuart Hall's idea about inferential racism, where a uh, a situation or a statement can be made that is not on its face. Uh, expressing a racist sentiment. But if you dig one level deeper into the logic, you realize like, oh, this only makes sense if your assumption from the jump is something that is actually racist. And so uh, mm-hmm. Cody is reworking this into inferential sexism, which is uh, specifically for her most of the time uh, instances where something that a wants to appear benign is actually not benign or like if it's not like outright uh, uh, malign it is at ca- it's working at cross purposes with something that is actually good so like the the entire mm-hmm. like idea of girl games on the face of it like awesome right like let's make barbie horse adventure or whatever or like make games that women want to play right like it, that's fine like those things can exist but in order for that entire thing to work, you have to have already made the assumption at point one that the games already being made aren't games that women like to play. Yeah. Right. Um, so it, it actually upholds the implicit masculinization of the field by saying, well, like, well, we need to build an adjunct onto this that is just for women. Like, that's how we're going to get parity here is by uh, uh making a special space for women to hang out. Um, and so uh, the other big example here is the uh, a kind of condescending like, oh, you're a girl who games. Well, what are your favorite games? How did you get started gaming? Like the mm-hmm. a thing that comes up a lot for the interviewees is in voice chatter, you know, just in in, in conversation. Uh, the moment when uh, they reveal that they're a, a woman and 
suddenly they are being interviewed slash interrogated and the the tone need not be hostile but there's like there's a credentialing happening right like that's the feeling is that even when these guys are trying to be like friendly and make conversation they're also kind of like sounding you out about how much of a gamer you really are yeah i uh just yesterday i was doing a little event i was i was at an event uh, with with students mm-hmm. and I was talking about games doing a, doing a little like hey this is what I do one of those talks right and I said well how many people here play games and you know I 10 years ago when you did this you would get like a third of the people would raise their hand you know if you got 20 people or so you would end up with about a third and they would overwhelmingly present as male mm-hmm. right now that's not the case much more diverse you know in terms of gender but also racial um, categories right uh which is cool great i well i good great right also that means that games have like suffused every part of our life which is also weird and worrying mm-hmm. but i had someone pipe up and immediately say do the sims count like like does that or does the sims count mm-hmm. it's a weird the weird uh, <laughs> grammatical thing right it's like does each uh, and every sim individually count yeah do they count <laughs> and it's like well no <laughs> not every sim counts but you gotta play the game no but you know that that comes up and it, it's still you know i taught a, a class on games last semester and we did i think two weeks on just the sims mm-hmm. um and i think there was a little bit of like eyebrow raising of like why are we doing that because is that like gaming you know what i mean <laughs> from some of the people <sighs> um but it, everyone got on board we had to like post pictures of our sims people had very elaborate backstories it was like everyone's first D game mm-hmm. you know that level of like writing backstory for a little like critter who runs around on the internet mm-hmm. so that was fun uh but but you know so that that's still like a part of the thing here right where it's like you now there's like um when elicited to have a response here one feels like you have to qualify right well i, I play the sims if you think that counts, then whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting here that the, what shows up in the interview is that some of the the interviewees avoid playing certain kinds of games because they're associated only with women. Yeah, like, like the, the Sims. Sims. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is fascinating to me. Yeah. And then they're and like, of course, right? Like, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Like, wholly rational to me. Uh, and yet um, surprising. Right. Well, and there are also uh, women who express guilt at playing games at all, that they feel that they shouldn't be playing games because they're they're women right right uh damn um <laughs> well if, if tiktok tells you uh, uh you know if it's anything to go by we should all just be uh, like putting tomatoes in canyon jars all the time <laughs> none is, of us should be playing games i've been told is that what tiktok is showing you <laughs> oh tiktok is showing me all kinds of stuff it's yeah. telling me i should like everyone in my family should be like wearing like tweed looking ass clothes uh-huh. right um, you know, we should we should all be like putting up a barn over a weekend together, growing long beards. Uh huh. I think I might be on Amish Amish TikTok. Yeah, you think you're on Amish TikTok? Every time I hop onto the TikTok, uh, TikTok.com, TikTok.com slash Range Touch, by the way, uh, to yeah. put up one of Wait, our. Does it actually go anywhere? I don't know. TikTok.com slash. Let me look. Let's find out. I don't know if that works or not. I don't know. .com slash Range Touch. I'm, I'm googling. I'm, I'm not. No, it doesn't work. Good. Maybe it's at range slash at. at it's range probably touch. at range touch because that's the. Yeah. yeah TikTok talk. 
tiktok.com slash at range to touch. So that's our TikTok. <laughs> when I hop in to, to that, uh, to like post clips from the shows and everything, it I get like the wildest spread of stuff. I get people who are doing their like acrobatics routines. Uh, I yes. get people who are building things like you said. I get people who are showing off their uh, extremely bad acne. Uh, I I don't know what's going on on TikTok. I think we have bamboozled the algorithm. It <laughs> because we only use it like because I don't use TikTok for anything mm-hmm. other than like getting on the range touch thing and posting stuff and I haven't done that in a little while right yeah. it's mostly been you doing it and so I think we've bamboozled it because it doesn't know where we live mm-hmm. so it can't like give us hyper local stuff and we only post extremely by I think the algorithm's perspective extremely weird videos yeah it sent us uh an automated message that was like uh oh yeah system notifications business account uh range touch you have been invited to join the business account join the business account learn how to increase your video views drive traffic to your it, like clearly it, it's picked up on that we're like doing brand work but the funny yeah. thing is you can only run a business account from a mobile so i'm not doing that i'm not downloading tiktok on my phone I'm keeping this in the browser. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, that's fascinating. Why did we start talking about this? Uh, <laughs> oh, because of what we see on TikTok. Yes. That's right. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, back to back to the actual book. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that comes up here that you've already gestured at. Uh, so one of the other kind of inferential sexism things is like, oh, when girls play games, they're not really playing it because they like games because girls don't like games. Yeah. Girls are playing games because they know boys like games and they know that boys will play, pay them attention for playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, As the classic uh, song said, I know what boys like. <laughs> I know what boys want. Uh huh. It's plain. But apply that to games. Yeah. They like they they like old men running the world. <laughs> Uh, so there are every time we say that on a show, we age by another decade. We Did do. You know that? Well, we're becoming the old men running the world. Oh, my God. Old men running the world. Old men running mm-hmm. the world. But there is this kind of like a uh, specter that shows up. Right. Again, that that, um, you know, and maybe this is wrong on my part. I would I would think of this in terms of misogyny. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, within, you know, in the context of feminist research, right? I think that this would get labeled kind of subtle misogyny for male participants, right? And I think it is, right? Like it's it's a, like an inherent latent uh, distrust of women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this kind of fantasy that all gamers seem to have, right? In, in, including these women who are being interviewed that some women play games for the wrong reasons. Yes, right. Yeah, there is... Um, <clears throat> Uh, uh, where did I write this down? Well, I, so she gets into, and you gestured at this, that there are like, so there are, there are women who are interviewees here who are like, oh yes, definitely there are women who do this just for the attention that boys give them. And that annoys me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that this is interesting because I put this in conversation with like McKinsey work. In gamer theory, right? What this ultimately does mm-hmm. is that th- what what is happening here uh, is that this stereotype of uh, like the the spurious gamer girl uh, gets applied to other women uh, because fundamentally it appeals to this fantasy that there is a true like gamer meritocracy somewhere in this mess. That there is a right. place where we are all just players doing the thing that we like to do. 
uh, we're all here for the same reasons, except for those of us who are like, you know, uh, ruin it for ruining it for everyone. Um, and this is also where explicitly Cody gets into something that I found very interesting, again, that you've already mentioned, is that um, she observes that there seems to be a difficulty for uh, women in games to form social connections. Um, she tries to do a so snowball method in her research where it's like, uh, if you're not familiar with this, uh, uh, it's when, say, I interview you, Cameron, um, and I'm like, here, do this interview. And also, based on what I'm researching, do you know anyone else who seems like a good candidate for this type of research? Can you give me their contact information? And then I go to those people and I say, hey, Cameron told me that you might be a good fit for this research that I'm doing. And then I ask those people and so on. You know, you snowball, you get a, a larger and larger group. Um, that way, Cody had trouble with this, that because when she asked these women, well, do you have any like other women gamer friends you can uh, pass me on to? They often didn't or they didn't have many. Uh, and I just thought that was very notable. I mean, you know, it's notable on the face of it for like what it suggests about these women and their situation. And it's also one of the things that feels like a big contrast or like what it does is it kind of like localizes some of these women localizes not the right word maybe i'll put it a different way i also know many women who game and i feel like a lot of those women have like hella group dms and they are talking to each other so there does seem yeah. to be you know like obviously people i know are not the the like template for reality so there seems to be something here uh, like no i think the people <laughs> i know are 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 the real people oh okay <laughs> yeah anyway uh if you put them into the dip nothing bad would happen right right they they actually yeah. they just come out clean it's like a bath yeah yeah <laughs> uh but anyway right the the that there is something about like there are segments right that there's something here where uh uh maybe or maybe things are changing right like maybe because we are at like this inflection point in the early 2010s where socializing in gaming or about gaming is going to change a lot as we move more mm -hmm. to the online service model um yeah. but i just thought that that was really really notable right that uh yeah. she just observes straight up that many of these women don't really have a lot of other friends who are women who are gamers well, it's also, I mean, what, 34 participants here? Yeah. I Selection bias, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, there are all kinds of ways that uh, maybe if, you, if you're posting on forums or, uh, you know, part of it, too, is that she socially recruited, right? So some of her participants are people that she knows, right? That Cody mm -hmm. knows. And so she's the gamer friend. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like there, there's a little bit of that going on, too, here, right? Where it's like, maybe you do have a... Uh, 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 several women in your friend group who all play games. Maybe it's three of them. Maybe you have accounted for all three of those people. I, I, I struggle to know too many men who have more than you know four or five people in their gaming group. Mm -hmm. You know, period. Um, maybe in larger extended networks, but yeah, I mean, you know, this is the difference between small scale qualitative work and like large scale quantitative work. Is like. Uh, 30 something people is not reality mm -hmm. right it gives you some cardinal directions for reality but it doesn't give you fine-grained work and i'm not like a big numbers person either right mm -hmm. um but uh but i do think that's a, just a limit to the kind of research we can do right yeah um and so uh that's kind of that uh, the mm -hmm. next chapter, chapter four, already core women, women's entry into gaming. Uh, the big thesis for this chapter that Cody wants to put forth is that uh, despite the supposed distinction between core and casual or core and whatever else, uh, 
the strategies that women deploy or like the things that women like about playing games uh, are basically the same things that men like about playing games, right? That Mm -hmm. uh, they have a... um, like they and and like you just so why if, if there's all this like harassment or all this you know overt and inferential sexism happening what is it that women get out of games and it turns out they really like uh relaxation escapism they like you know identity play they like making up a little person that they pretend to be and doing something with that uh they like getting good they like getting really good and owning noobs uh Things oh, like- my God, we're all more alike <laughs> than we are different. Oh, my God. Yep. Uh, but one of the really important things that uh, Cody is pointing out across all these chapters is that whereas if you're a a, a, a boy gamer doing this, um, you're just a you're just a gamer. Right. Uh, but women are always fragmented in their subject position. Right. They are constantly having to negotiate between like being a uh, person who likes games or a gamer, but also being a girl who likes games is a gamer. Uh, so there's a, a kind of constant negotiation going on or kind of a toggling that hap- happens um, in terms of how they think about themselves and how they narrativize uh, their experiences of gameplay. Um, so, uh, that's like big picture. What's going on here? Was there anything that you thought was interesting that you wanted to talk about Cameron? No, I don't think so. I mean, this is, this is an interesting chapter where it kind of dives deeper into some of the history around that stuff. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, kind of the, the, I don't know, high water marks for lack of a better word, right. The, the places where we see strong evidence of like, uh, women playing games as an as an identity. Mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of that is kind of historical and contextual here. If you're curious about that, you could read more into it. But in terms of like big picture, that's basically what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the this is just like a small bit where she's like, you know, and what types of uh, games did the respondents not enjoy the ones they weren't good at? <laughs> like across the board, like interviewees, when they said that they didn't like a game, they also said it's like, yeah, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> yeah, because like that's the experience, right? That's actually the true gamer feel. What are the games I don't like? The ones I'm bad at. Yeah, not me. <laughs> uh, the games I don't like are the bad games. Oh, OK. All right, Michael. Cool. Great. And the games I like are the good games. Right. Mm-hmm. See, I, I've merely universalized my taste. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's a little secret mm-hmm. for all of you out here, right? Yeah. Uh, then, uh, yeah, so that, uh, basically, right. This is from page 143. Uh, this comes after the point where the, some of these interviewees talk about like, actually one of the ways that they deal with sexism is by getting really good at multiplayer games. And so when they get shit for being, uh, women, obviously, uh, that they can then turn around and just start obliterating people, right? So, quote, women's ability to take on these characteristics troubles the naturalization of core as a coherent concept. Because they adopt some aspects of core while rejecting others, such as its masculinization, they demonstrate the ways in which these characteristics are connected only by media coverage, industrial biases, long-standing discourses about who plays games and what games are, and players' resulting perceptions. Damn. Yep. Got him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Cool. 
Then uh, five is strategies for play, finding space and exercising active audience power. And this is just kind of the, you know, a couple things here. One is actually like how how do uh, gaming entities, right? Riot is talked about here in League of Legends. Like how do they what are what are their like trust and safety strategies for dealing with harassment anyway? Um, but then what are the things that women gamers do on their own? Uh, like what are the th- things that they do in order to um deal with uh hostility uh mm-hmm. actually random observation lollipop chainsaw comes up in this book a couple times as a game that women are the interviewees particularly are not interested in playing and have a very low opinion of and it is the most i have thought about lollipop chainsaw in over a decade truly like a deeply controversial game at the time like uh because it was a lightning rod for these questions around uh, women in games. Yes, absolutely. Right? Like, you know, th- that's part of it is that, you know, I'm, I'm blanking on the exact context here, but it was it was attached to the quote unquote booth babe conversations as well. Yeah, I believe a model who was contracted to do the lollipop chainsaw. This is just off the dome. So if I get any of this wrong, please. I, apologies. Um, but I believe that that someone who was contracted to do some PR work for it, like at a con, was made to leave because of a changing kind of big, also big quotation marks, booth babe policy. Um, I don't remember which con that was, maybe a PAX. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. But uh, I do remember, so that combined with the the game itself, right? Which is like, uh, you know, sexy teen uses, beats people up in like a devil may cry kind of scenario. Right. right? Um. I, I, I just remember it being a very strong lightning rod for that kind of, of conversation. And it, and it indexed into the real world, big quotation marks there, right? But it indexed into like human behavior at some mm-hmm. point because of another kind of um, uh, paratext, you know, for lack of a better word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that also made it controversial. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I have not heard anyone talk about this game in a decade. Yep. It was just for me one of those real moments of uh, how how quickly the discourse in in this cultural space moves because if i threw that out to anyone like does anyone i don't know two or three years younger than me even know what that game is this is how quickly it feels like that uh came and went anyway uh so here are the strategies right for how you know big picture here are like the general strategies that these women deploy um one is leaving online gaming just straight up leaving. Um, and they're remaking Lollipop Chainsaw. Oh, my God. I'm just letting you know. Okay. Anyway, keep going. Keep going. Sorry. Read uh-huh. your strategy. Uh, avoiding playing with strangers, right? Having like a, a group of people that you know that you play with. Um, camouflaging their gender. So not using voice chat or uh, specifically using kind of gender ambiguous or gender neutral or outright like misleading uh, usernames. Um, deploying their skill and experience, i.e., you know, like reckon people who talk shit, um, or adopting an aggressive persona. So kind of, you know, uh, uh, throwing back the trash talk, um, when you get it. Uh, there are also some unpopular alternatives. Uh, one of them is what I mentioned earlier, right? This, this strategy of like flirting with men to get them to be nice to you. And then the other one that is mentioned very briefly as unpopular that I thought was notable was just blocking people. Um, 
And not that like Cody needed to talk more about that, but I thought it was interesting. Like blocking comes up and it's just like it's unpopular, but we don't really get a lot about like why that's unpopular. Like, I mean, as someone who spent like too many years on Twitter, right, uh, the the like weird fermentation of blocking as an act and like when is it okay to do it and how do you do it and blah 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 uh i think i feel like there's more to say about that or there was more that could have been said like how are these women thinking about blocking like what does that mean here but you know whatever um Mm -hmm. uh yeah and i mean that's that's kind of it right those are the strategies and there are mentions of uh various ways that this explicitly gets implemented by a lot of the interviewees um Mm -hmm. something that i think i'm going to say now uh because it hasn't come up yet is that uh the interviewees and this is this was something it was a question i had the whole book is like what's up with their names because it starts out this book like (laughs) quoting these people Mm -hmm. and it's like angela says blah 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 Okay. Yeah, because you, uh, when you have participants for a study mm-hmm. like this, you anonymize them. Yeah, obviously, and you give them code names. Yeah, right. So it, it starts yeah. out. It's like Angela says, "No, no, no, no." Okay, you know, yeah. Meredith says, "No, no, no." Okay, Feather. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. all right, Feather. That's all right. Says, "No, no, no." Uh, Bear, Spinach, yeah. Fiber Freak. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, sometimes you let people choose their own name. This is what happened. It turns out is like I found the set in the index is that people got to choose their own code names. But like the the slow escalation of starting with the people who who chose basically normal names to like Fiber Freak, who's out here uh, like giving us her opinions on. I don't remember what it is. Fiber Freak is talking about, but like she was deaf. There's there's someone in the table at the end who's named like, I don't know, Killbot 9000, I think. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's no it is interesting that it begins like there, there. We don't begin with fiber free. Right. <laughs> uh, I have, have. Have we done all the strategies? Is that all the strategies? Uh, I did them like big picture. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure that was all of them because I've got the info for you. Okay. About lollipop chainsaw. Oh, great. I didn't want to get it wrong. Uh-huh. All right. So it was cosplayer who I think is like still around, but it was like a big deal, you know, uh, in 2012. I certainly remember uh, Jessica Negri. Right. She was at PAX East. Huh. And uh, she was wearing a, a lollipop chainsaw alternate costume, you know, like one of the because you can get different outfits in the game, quote unquote, a hot pink jumpsuit with a neckline plunging to her crotch. Hmm. OK. Uh, Destructoid is reporting this from a Kotaku piece from the time. Destructoid initially reported that she was, quote, asked to leave the show floor, end quote. Until she had changed out of the outfit. And that is because PAX had or has, I don't really know, a no booth babe policy. Hmm. There you go. Yeah. Well, interesting that uh, whose body gets policed and whose doesn't. Yeah. Hmm. I don't really have time to get into that here. But uh, yeah. Uh, that Penny Arcade's uh, Robert Koo clarified to us that she was asked to change or step off the floor. Hmm. Technically, to restrict her presence to a demo area inside a bus in the game's booth. Inside While this bus. means she would possibly not be seen by showgoers, had she not complied, she technically wouldn't have been gone from PAX. Real split in the hairs on who gets kicked out and who doesn't here. Yep. From from the Penny Arcade Expo. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so yeah, that was a, a major kind of controversy back then. I remember that pretty clearly. Yep. Obviously, I remember pretty clearly because I, I got it basically right. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know any of the people involved or where it happened. <laughs> 
yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the chapter five, that's all about the strategies, um, you know, leaving gaming, uh, yeah, just rehearse them, uh, leaving online gaming, avoiding playing with strangers, camouflaging gender, deploying skill and experience or adopting an aggressive persona. The chapter ends with uh, a kind of push for really like instead of making uh, individual gamers responsible for this, there needs to be more responsible uh, stuff on the developer side, right? Developers need to be providing better tools for uh, protecting against or mitigating harassment and doing more to combat harassment on their platforms. Um, that's where Riot comes in and kind of its old tribunal system and, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, which has essentially been fully automated, right? Yes. I mean, it, it's automated by the time that she's writing this book because she talks about when it was retired. It was retired in 2014, actually. Um, cool. Yep. So chapter six, then, is in the aftermath, women's changing views on gaming and sexism following Gamergate. Uh, this is the only summary we have read of Gamergate in an academic book that I felt was accurate entirely. Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, sir, I mean, you know, entirely. Everything we've read has gotten some pieces correct, I think. Mm -hmm. But I think importantly, it's because Cody is not trying to, like, bend Gamergate to be like. And obviously, if we fix the thing I care about, Gamergate never would have happened. Right. Which mm -hmm. is like how so many mentions of Gamergate go in academic literature. Right. Like. The problem I've identified was actually at the core of this, like, massive social political issue. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Cody is just more interested in describing it. Right. Um, and and explicitly talking about, you know, part of the policing and misogyny that's at the heart of it. Right. Um, which I think is largely accurate. Well, uh, describing it and describing it as uh, or like reporting, right, the way that her interview yeah. interviewees felt it. Uh, which is like, yeah, this is like basically the biggest, loudest version of a thing we've seen happen a bunch of times before in gaming already. Yeah. Right. That this is like I've seen people being loud and sexist and harassing. And mm -hmm. this is just like this is another version of that that's uh, just taken off. Um, mm hmm. Uh, so and, and notably that there's like a plurality of belief around it. Uh huh. Which is like. There, the the people who are being interviewed here do not have a party line on some of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. Like, like Gamergate by its very nature requires, and like politically requires a response that has a party line to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like the behavior uh, seen uh, in Gamergate cannot be condoned, yeah. right? Uh, like mass harassment, all these different things, right? It requires in action a political line. Uh, in opinion, right? They're like all human endeavor. People have all kinds of weird beliefs about it, mm -hmm. right? Some of which are fully rational, some of which are purely not. They are discontinuous with themselves, uh, and, and, and notably not emotional versus rational, but rational and then alternate fo forms of rationality, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, people come to opinions based on data that they have. Um, and it's just sometimes hard for other people to track. So there's all kinds of weird beliefs going on here, right? right. From these participants, um, right. which is uh, interesting. I think that's important to have as part of the conversation. Right. Well, I think notably all of them are like, no one should be harassed. Like, I don't think yeah. anyone comes out of the gate being like, actually, I loved all that harassment that happened. Um, right. But there are uh, respondents who are like, 
you know, harassment should never happen. However, I feel like both sides of this issue have something going on. Like I see like why people on either side think the things that they do. Uh, Yeah. There's like the one woman who says, you know, like, I don't think what like what people said and about and did to Anita Sarkeesian isn't right. Uh, But I sort of understand like why it happened, because she's an outsider to gaming. Right. Like her critique isn't isn't incorrect, but I think the critique would have landed uh, differently for people if she was more of an insider. Um, Right. And I mean, I think that's a fascinating thing. Right. Because like I, you know, based on what I know of Sarkeesian, she's as much of a game player as any other human being. Right. mm -hmm. Like um, maybe uh, committed to it, maybe not, whatever. But the but the perception. Right. Even by uh, another woman who is engaged in games is that she was not. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and I, it's fascinating. And like, I, I, have, a, I have a very clear opinion of everything going on here. I hope I, you know, like I'm, I, I am party line on lots of these things. And part of that had to be with where I was positioned vis-a-vis harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, you know, being in the cloud of, of things that occurred, certainly not at the center of it, thank God, but like on the periphery of the periphery. And, uh, you know, there, it is interesting to know that I think our perception is like, in 2024, the perception is like everyone was on the on. They had picked a side and there's good, good people and bad people. Mm-hmm. When in reality, even contemporary to the moment, there was a huge intermingling and notably right like of actual humans in the world who it has a major effect on. Right. If you were a woman playing games in 2014, you're getting spillover somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think it's possible to dodge it. But lots of people were just like, yeah, I just kind of tried to ignore it. Mm hmm. I didn't have a Twitter, so. <laughs> right, right, right. There, there's this kind of thing where I think it is it is felt so explicitly by the core gaming demographic, mm-hmm. by core people, mm-hmm. when the reality is that it was peripheral for so many people. But yeah, that's me on my, my high horse, uh, essentially <laughs> about the history of games. But it matters, right? You know, and it's not a question of like, Oh, people don't know their history. Oh, people have been programmed. You know, like I, I am a, um, a naive materialist in some ways. Sometimes I think you know the world makes us uh, rather than the other way around. So like mm-hmm. I can understand maybe uh, hearing that from me, um, but but really and truly, right? It's I I over the past 10, 15 years have had the dual experience of this show partially, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of research around games culture. And, you know, Michael, you've done a huge amount of internet culture research in that time, too, as well as experiencing it. And the ground that has been given to a reactionary element over telling our history as a culture, you know, if there is a broad games culture, uh, it's kind of wild, right? Yeah, there's been a, a maybe a purposeful forgetting or an accidental forgetting of not digging into our long roots, right? You know, um, maybe that's a good opportunity for us to do Julian Dibble on here, oh. on the show here too. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Julian's, um, <laughs> if only because uh, Julian Dibble's work, you know, a long time ago, 30 years ago almost at this point now, um, highlights some of the same elements that showed up in contemporary games culture and also people who were resistant to it and wanted to change it. Um, I think that there might be something really fascinating to think about these, uh, as you just said a minute ago, Michael, that the informants and the participants of this study say, number one, Gamergate wasn't new. And number two, we've seen an uptick of particular kinds of sexism, 
post it that didn't exist before that we didn't experience in the same way before. Mm -hmm. Those are both interesting data points. And I think that there's a lot of historiography like armchair historiography assertions about the games culture we live in. That's like, oh, it was always there and it was always in the shape. And I think there's there's something too that we underwent a transformation that normalized itself into the history of games. Mm -hmm. um, it's always been a boys club. It's always been a particular kind of thing. Uh, when I think in reality, it was much more complicated. And there have been a lot of women who were heavily participatory in that. This is why Jennifer DeWinter and Carly Kasurik's like game developer series of books that they've been doing is pretty cool, I think, because they are taking some time out to actually engage with those things mm -hmm. um, in really cool ways. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a whole bunch of other stuff in this chapter that maybe we should just nah, we're good. snapshot. I think we're good. <laughs> uh, I think it's just me like monologuing about my beliefs and feelings and then... Uh, you know, whatever. We don't need to listen yeah, to any of this other stuff. And then we're done. And then we're done. No, hit us with it. Well, what okay, else we got? Okay, so it's notable, or like I think it's it's worth noting that of all of her original uh, respondents, only 11 of them came back. Um, we don't get reasons yeah. for the others. Presumably, maybe they just didn't respond when she sent out the email or what have you. But like we're, we're dealing with a smaller data set is the point. Even smaller. Um, uh, and of these 11, only two of them uh, described their game playing as basically similar to the first round of interviews, right? Everyone else had changed and they had changed a lot. Uh, a lot of this was due to like what happened in their lives. Uh, many of them had uh, had job changes, right? Some of them were in grad school and they were now out of grad school and they were, you know, teaching or had like a full time job. Many of them had families, right? Uh, partners, but also some of them had children. So, uh they didn't play as much as they used to, for example, because they had other responsibilities, but they were still making time to prioritize play in one form or another. So uh, one interesting thing then uh, is that six of them had taken up D&D &D. like this is a thing that uh, uh, Cody talks about. Um, like, you know, singles out, there's like, there's like a little section just about like, hey, this is interesting, because she gets into the history of D&D, &D, which we've talked about a lot on uh, our tabletop units. Uh, you can go back and listen to those episodes. Uh, and it's like, hey, here, here's all the like weird sexism and racism that's in D&D, &D, right? D&D &D is by no means like better than mainstream video gaming in this regard. Uh, and yet look at all the ways that D&D &D avails itself of being um, kind of customizable to an experience of someone who doesn't want to uh, uh, see some of that. Right. And then also like looking at the corporate end, like D&D &D has uh, worked to expunge some of those elements from the text. Right. Uh, and that's also I mean, that that's notable to me also just because this is a thing that we tend to talk about as well uh the the like normalization of dnd &D culturally that we have witnessed over the past couple years uh is i think this is a part of that too right um yeah uh well and also it it i you know i think she says this too right that a lot of the strategies that were involved in kind of curbing you know in the previous chapter right the curbing online harassment stuff that's kind of taken for granted, right? You get to in D and D because you really get to control mm -hmm. who you're interacting with, right? You know, um, and you don't have to engage with, uh, say, platform mechanisms like blocking or, um, you know, player selection, any of that. Because guess what? You choose who you play with. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know, there's a lot of like moving it from a particular sphere to a more local sphere. Just checks against a lot of the random 
stuff that could happen. Right. And so one of the outputs of this that Cody says is that, hey, uh, any research on women in gaming, uh, if it's only focusing on video games, is only going to get a half picture because clearly with tabletop gaming or uh, there's another woman who is LARPing uh, and yet another woman who has taken up like competitive pinball. Uh, that if we're only looking at video games, we are missing a huge swath of the picture about uh, women in gaming and the types of games that they like and the strategies that they deploy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, I want to read the follow up book about that one person who got competitive. Pin- <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was talking to my local game bar guy. You know what I mean? Like every, every town got their game bar. You know what I mean? And uh, I was talking to him and he was like, yeah, we got competitive pinball coming in. We're setting a league up. Ooh, yeah, isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Hmm. It's coming, coming out. Then huh. uh, I think that is uh, uh, kind of the end of that chapter. I mean, you get more of the um, stuff that you've talked about, where some of these women are uh, they express like say discontent when because so the other thing, right? I think that's kind of happened post GamerGate is that uh, despite GamerGate, the uh, the casual wave continued. Uh, and so some of these women talk about uh, in having interactions with other women where I get the sense it's a, something like other woman says like, oh, I'm such a gamer. I love Candy Crush. And then these women mm-hmm. who have, you know, been playing different games for longer are kind of like, hmm, all right, whatever. Right. There, there's a little bit of, uh, of that going on as well. Right. Even in uh, I think it was 2017 when the follow up interviews were connect- were conducted. Mm -hmm. Um, then we move into the conclusion, uh, which, uh, begins with an anecdote about when Blizzard unveiled Diablo Immortal and the huge flare up and discourse around that as, uh, the true gamers decried the casualization of one of their beloved core franchises. Um, I think like, uh, uh, kind of like to dog leg out here, side note, I think it is interesting that Diablo Immortal, when it, uh, you know, actually came out rather than being announced. Uh, The big discourse around that was actually about the uh, like, was it an in-game store or like kind of the, uh, you know, pseudo gambling mechanics, right? As is these are rife in mobile Mm -hmm. games. Like that's another, that's something right. Worth talking about that came up a little bit. I think maybe in Cassidy's book, um, vicious Mm -hmm. games, right? That uh, we, when we are talking about the casualization of games, yeah, sure, it's about like reaching new audiences and they're different from the traditional core audiences in all of these ways. But I think uh, for whatever reason, the casualization of gaming has also gone hand in glove with the widespread adoption of gambling and gambling mechanics in games. And there's something there's something to be done there. I don't know what it is, but I feel like that needs to be drilled down on a little bit more. Um, yeah, th- yeah, there's something going on here around it feels like in our current moment that the at least in like the broad swath demographics that that i see right and like i'm only a human being i i see a partial uh version of reality right but it feels like the question of like are casual games games mm-hmm. it feels like that's been resolved right. because so much of the aaa industry traditionally aaa industry has moved into what has traditionally been understood as the casual games Mm -hmm. like sector, right? Like there are lots of games on your phone. There are lots of complicated games on your phone. They sit side by side with Candy Crush without any kind of um, distinction or whatever, right? You know, Assassin's Creed Jade's about to come out. It is a full scale, as far as I can tell, uh, tell, 
<laughs> as far I as I hear can tell, tale, the next Assassin's Creed. I I, I heard I I was listening to uh, down down at down at the well. <laughs> I was hearing that the Assassin's Creed Creed Jade's a full scale Assassin's Creed game. Got you going on in ancient China. Uh, but yeah, so you know, but it's like a full game. You know, it, it's been beta tested. I wasn't in the beta or anything, but it seems like it's just like a full straight up game. Diablo Immortal is a full straight up Diablo game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? On the thing. There, there's some sort of sea change that happened here where uh, the place where you grab casual gamers has been suffused with the rest of the industry. Right. Well, I was uh, thinking. In, in, oh. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking like uh, 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 in many ways, from my perspective, at least I may be totally talking out my butt here, but like it feels like, a, say, a battle pass. Right. Is is yeah. the hardcore version of this where it's like I'm just going to pay all the money up front to show how committed I am to the game rather than do all the little microtransactions, right? That there's a way in yeah. which like there's there's like a, a pincer move has happened. We've done a tenant. Yeah. We did a temporal pincer move on the gamers. That's right. <laughs> oh, man, I wish we could do a temporal pincer move on the gamers. <laughs> I'm going to take this episode and when I post it, I'm going to like uh, make the date 2012. <laughs> and we could be like, it was always here. Uh huh. But uh, but yeah, I but there's something interesting. Yeah, where I think you're right that there's this kind of the the industry has successfully conquered gender and uh, made capitalism eat it all. Yeah. So it feels like and maybe right. Maybe there are still people who were like churning in, in the nightmare field of like what is a real game in terms of on a mobile platform or not mm-hmm. or casual versus core. Um, I'm certain that that's like part of the hegemonic reality of games discourse in the same way that like every now and again, I'll get someone litigating. You know, I like wrote a piece for Polygon a while back. I I don't remember what the piece was on specifically. And there was like a little aside about playing it on the Xbox or something. And someone like responded. Oh, no, I think it was the thing I wrote about Starfield. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you just don't like it because you or an Xbox fanboy. Oh my god. And I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like, are we, are, like, what baby universe are you living in where you're like fighting on behalf of Sony versus Microsoft? Two devils that right. have you in a stranglehold. Right? Oh, like, it's like we, it's like if Jurassic Park, like they brought the dinosaurs back, and the first thing the dinosaurs did was like accuse humans of being other dinosaurs that they didn't like. <laughs> You you're just on the side of Diplodosaurus. Yeah. <laughs> like like this is still happening? Yeah. They're like you're just in the pocket of Big Brontosaur. You're like, we don't even call him that anymore. We like change the name. Brontosaur, but with the S is a dollar sign. <laughs> but yeah, so it, you know what I mean? So you know, I get a whiff of it every now and again. So certainly these things are still going on, but it does feel like it's been eaten by a broader system that doesn't care what your gender position is whatsoever and is not really invested in proliferating narratives around that, but rather narratives of like why it's cool to, to um, you know, have microtransactions, right? Mm-hmm. And that's worked, you know, like there are people out there on the beat, some of them who, who have transitioned into the industry, right? But people on the beat whose like whole deal is just, I don't know, microtransactions aren't, aren't so bad, mm-hmm. you know? They're fair. They're good. Right. Mm -hmm. And that that seems to be, you know, part of the what has supplanted that. I guess this has also happened at the same time where anyone writing about games has been like 
in a public way has been essentially replaced by a robot in mm-hmm. many places or just fired. And so there's less of a diversity of opinion broadly, period, about anything. Yeah. Because uh, there's fewer people talking. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> that's not what all this conclusion is about. Uh, the other thing that happens here is Cody points out like limitations on her research, basically saying, hey, like here are the things that are obviously stuff to think about and talk about, but were beyond my purview. Um, so, for instance, uh, race and sexuality are not considered, even though this was data that she collected. And so in the appendix at the end, she like, you know, uh, gives all of this stuff. So it's there, but she just wasn't in a position to make any particular claims about it. Um, she mm-hmm. also points to possibly a complimentary project on men's attitudes. Like what if you did this, but just like focused on men and like interviewed men and kind of got what they were thinking, what, what uh, would come out of that. Um, and then also a complimentary project uh, about other cultural contexts, because this entire thing is uh if not, if if the respondents are not all American, they're at least all Anglophone and they're like dealing in an Anglophone context. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's yeah. And that's that. And then there's the appendix that lays out in tables and everything. Here's everyone's name and age and so on and so forth. Yeah. It's good. Good. Yeah. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I like the book. I like I said. I think that if you if you're plugged in all these conversations, there's not a lot here that's like gonna blow your mind. But I think if you are looking for the thing that gives pretty solid evidentiary proof for many of these kind of um, you know hegemonic ideas, like our our common sense ideas about sexism in the games industry, good evidence here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to make a I you know I've recommended this book before, but uh, I, I, I always want to give it the props I can. Amira Jarmakani's An Imperialist Love Story: Desert Romances in the War on Terror. Okay. Sorry, I had to sneeze. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were, I thought yeah. you were expecting me to have like a really strong reaction to that. And I'm like, this is no. the first time I've heard of it, Cameron. No. Uh it's it's kind of doing a rad way, you know, it's mm-hmm. in the same universe, but reading desert romances. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Just a really interesting book about reading kind of ideology within text. Pretty short book too. Um, but so, you know, like what are the desires and what are the structures of feeling, you know, to, to, to use an academic phrase Mm -hmm. that kind of power the way we engage with media objects. It's about literature, obviously, but I, I I took a class with Amira John McConney like a decade ago. And, uh, I've always found the book like really helpful for thinking through some of these things. Hmm. Um, so if, if this book sounded interesting to you and you were like, oh, what are other books kind of doing the same, same kind of deal? Um, it's a, it's a cool book. Mm Mm-hmm. What's our next book, Michael? I don't know. I was going to ask you because I picked this one. I, you know, I got a book in the mail recently. Uh Uh-huh. Because I bought it. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I got a mysterious book in the mail. It has no title and is bound in a strange flesh. Like. (laughs) Uh, It's got a screaming face on the cover. Uh I just want to kiss it. Yeah. No. uh, No, it's. uh, It is Carlos Gabriel Kelly Gonzalez's book. Ready Player One. It, Isn't that fun? Is it J U A N? Yeah. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Here, let me let me link it to you. Okay. Uh, but I, it just looks looks interesting. It's a subtitle: Latinx masculinities and stereotypes in video games. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, just seems like an interesting book. Seems cool. It's a thing that I really don't know too much about in terms of like I'm not 
in Latinx studies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not like a thing I research at all. Um, and it looked pretty cool. Like I flipped through it a little bit and there are some, some cool readings of, uh, some different games that I'm pretty familiar with in there. Yeah. And I don't know. I just thought it'd be like a fun book to read. Oh, okay. And probably one that people wouldn't be aware of if we didn't like put it in front of them. All right. Yeah. No, this, I mean, this would be an interesting compliment to what we did this month. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. And then maybe we can think a little bit more intently about what the next unit is. But, uh, but in terms of, uh, just a thing to read that might be fun to check out, let people know about this book all right awesome yes that could be our next one ready player one came out i think very recently uh came out in november 2023 yeah wow okay oh you know what i know why i know about it uh kashana gray blurped it oh okay that's how i found out about it there we go shout out to kashana gray Mm -hmm. um go to patreon.com slash range touch in order to get access to the show notes and things like that um and just to support the show uh, like we said earlier, this is Michael's full-time gig now. Woo! So uh, his fortune sink and swim based on your Patreon dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you enjoy the show and if you've been listening to it, uh, if you recommend it, if you teach it, things like that, that'd be really helpful. Um, uh, and uh, we don't spend any money on advertising. So if you want to know about it, or if you want people to know about it, you want the show to grow, you got to tell people about it. Maybe let them know. If you uh, go to iTunes... So two different things. If you listen on Spotify, you can just hit the uh, little five-star button for us. That helps a lot. Uh, If you listen to it on Apple Podcasts, I always say iTunes, but uh, if you go to Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review that that would be helpful. But even if you don't want to leave a review, just hit the five-star button for us. That helps us sequence up and uh, get on more lists and things like that. If you leave a fun review, maybe I'll read it on the thing. Uh, We haven't gotten a new review in a while. Mm. So leave us some new uh, funny reviews or nice reviews or things like that, and I'll read them on the show. Yeah. Uh, five stars, please. That helps us out a huge amount. Yeah. And, uh, well, until next time, do not forget the most important thing, that the social is predicated on its exclusions. <laughs> <laughs>